Welcome back to Elder Law Issues, the weekly podcast of the law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC at Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Practice. I'm Robert Fleming, and my co-host and partner is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Elizabeth, welcome back. Thank you, Robert. Elizabeth, I thought this week we would talk about hospice. Not really uh, too much detail about the eligibility rules, but what our experience has actually been, um, we've, of course, dealt with hospice rather a lot in our practice and in our personal lives as well. So um, I think we have some insight into how hospice works. Well, Robert, I think that the number one thing anybody listening today um, should consider when we talk about hospice is what we say and what our experiences may not necessarily be true for our listeners or family members of our listeners. Hospice and the decision to start hospice or the hospice process is truly different for everybody. And I have to say, I believe that hospice can be a really helpful thing, not just for the person who is dying, but for that person's family. That's been my experience. But I've also worked with people, Robert, who have had less than satisfactory experiences with hospice. And I don't know whether that was the particular hospice company, the workers, or what their expectations were. But I I do want to say this is a sensitive issue for people, and, and folks have experiences all over the map. They do, and I've had the same kind of feedback. I would say that almost everyone is very favorable about the whole hospice idea, and and the and they universally say that hospice was a great relief at the end of their mother's, father's, brother's, whoever it is, life. Um, but I think you're right that there's a lot of variability among the agencies that actually perform the hospice services. There, you know, one agency that works very well with one family may not work well with the next family. That's very true about everything in life. But on balance, the experience has been very, very positive. And Robert, one thing that I, I, I think I also want to bring up is when we use the word hospice, um, people have very strong feelings. That's that's not a, a word that goes without um, folks really applying their personal experience or their understanding. But one thing I'd like to say today for our listeners, when we talk about hospice, we're not just talking about the portion or the time in hospice where somebody may receive medication, something for pain management or anxiety. We're talking about the whole hospice process. And somebody may go on to hospice and not receive any medications, Robert. This is one of the little known or often misunderstood elements of hospice. You can ask for uh, someone to be evaluated by a hospice, have hospice come in and offer services with things like baths, with things like supplies, oxygen, something like a hospital bed. And never in that experience do they start bringing in drugs. Right. That is that is one of the real misunderstandings when I say to a family, for instance, have you considered whether or not so-and-so may be eligible for hospice? Well, he, he doesn't need any drugs. Well, I'm talking about all of the supportive services and resources that hospice can provide, which includes extra staffing for free. And, and also counseling, not just for the patient, but for the family members who are dealing with grief. There's, there's such a different approach in the hospice model than in the general curative model of, of medical treatment. And as you note, there are a lot of myths about hospice. Uh, I've been doing this long enough to remember the days when it was commonly said 
that you had to be given a death sentence, basically, to get on hospice, that you, you couldn't live more than six months or you, you had to be determined to be um, certain to die within the next six months. Well, it was never that rigorous. It was never that closely um, controlled, and it's much less, much more relaxed now. There just has to be a finding that in the ordinary course of the illness that you suffer from, you, you won't be expected to live more than six months. But people do. In fact, hospice has been such a positive experience for a lot of our, our, our patients, our clients, and family members uh, that, um, that they have gotten better. Not, I don't mean to be cured, but they have improved the, their circumstance and they graduate from hospice, a continuing issue that, that crops up because the, the whole approach is so much more relaxed and there's so much less anxiety about the, about the dying process. And Robert, I think that the hospice providers, um, whether we're talking about a nurse or caregiver, chaplain, um, can really add to the resources and the support system for other caregivers in a family or in someone's circle. Um, my personal experiences is when people have um, caregivers, whether they're through an agency or, or privately paid through a household, that actually having hospice come in provide some training, provide some extra help with things like bathing, be a huge source of support for those really providing hands-on care 24-7. So hospice can really help the other providers as well. I will say that I tell families it's important to interview at least two different hospice providers. I think that each hospice has their own culture. They have their own set of skills or or priorities that they would talk about with families. And so just like when we tell somebody, you know, it's good to meet a couple different agencies before you hire one to, to get some caregivers in the household, I do feel the same way about hospice, and I think it's a good idea to talk to more than one hospice company. Uh, it, it's probably worth noting that the vast majority of the hospice patients um, in the community are Medicare patients, not literally every Hospice uh, is, uh, is subsidized by Medicare solely. Medicaid in Arizona Access and even Altex has a hospice component as well. But the vast majority of the money flowing into the hospice industry comes through the Medicare system. Doesn't mean if you're not on Medicare that you can't qualify for hospice, but most of the rules are written for the Medicare realm. And that's where that six-month rule comes in. And by the way, if you live six months, that doesn't mean you're off hospice. If it's still true that you're likely to die within six months at the end of the six-month period, uh, then you can stay on hospice. It used to be that you could have two six-month periods and one final three-month period. Those rules are no longer true. You just have to continuously be uh, within six months of, of dying of the underlying illness. A lot of our clients say, uh, when we ask them about it, well, I don't want to put my mom on hospice because I'm not ready to give up on her yet. And I really try to discourage that approach. It's not giving up on, you know, your mom, your dad, your sister, whoever it is, they are going to die. That's, that's just a given. That's part of the human condition. But, um, but if they are at that stage where there's a high likelihood that they're going to die in the near future, their care can be eased, their anxieties can be reduced, their pain can be treated more, more vigorously. Um, and, uh, and yes, it's true that that might mean giving up on the curative possibilities, but, uh, but it doesn't mean giving up on the patient. 
And Robert, I would note that sometimes people will call to be evaluated by a particular hospice and one hospice may say someone does not meet the criteria, but another hospice may take that person on immediately. So keep in mind that if you are interested in hospice services and believe that somebody in your circle would benefit from them, if you have a hospice come in and evaluate the person and they do not believe the person meets the criteria, that doesn't mean that another hospice service will agree. That's what I've one of the lessons that I've learned in my experience with hospice. A lot has to do with the person making the evaluation and the onboarding process. And some people who may not qualify for one hospice actually would qualify for another just based on the, the nurse's or the evaluator's experience. Right. Um, I said at the beginning that we weren't going to talk about the legal details of hospice, but it's just worth noting as well that in a general way, most of the copayments, deductibles, the things that people lay out for their care, even if they are on Medicare, they either are vastly reduced or go away altogether on the hospice program. So it usually means a less expensive kind of care than what the patient might have been getting up to the time they got on hospice, which is yet another way that the anxiety of the dying process can be relieved by hospice. And Robert, when we talk about hospice services, those can be provided in home or in a hospice setting, which is another often a, a, a misunderstanding or a myth that you have to go somewhere to get hospice services. This is not true. You can actually receive them in your home. Um, and in some families, I've noticed that people will start an in-home hospice and transition to a hospice placement just because that makes it easier to receive care. But that's not a requirement. Um, that I think you know many people assume. We always, or almost every time we do a podcast, try to remember to tell people we uh, we only practice in Arizona. We don't know the law anyplace else. On this topic, most of the law is federal, but the actual hospice agencies, the practices, procedures, what the community has come to expect is not only state-specific, it's locality-specific. So we really need to say that our experience with hospice is very much related to the Tucson community, not even just Arizona. I think we could probably generalize to most of Arizona, and uh, we have had the occasional hospice experience in other states, and it's generally been the same. But we do need to give the caveat that we're talking about Tucson, Arizona hospice uh, programs and, and the effect on people. And Robert, one other thing for folks listening and wondering where to start this process. The first thing is, is if you believe that somebody may be eligible and would benefit from hospice services, talk to the person. See if the person is, is ready or interested in learning about it. I've had a number of occasions where somebody who is aging and um, eligible for hospice, before they were really asked about it, they had a child who was calling and trying to get them evaluated. That, that's not really the way to go about this. Um, you can still have capacity and make decisions about whether or not you want to receive hospice care. This is not something that you can be forced into by your agent under a power of attorney or guardian. If somebody retains their capacity, that is the person who is going to be signing the forms and who is going to be agreeing to hospice services. Only in the event that somebody is incapacitated and unable to sign the hospice paperwork themselves that's when you're going to have your healthcare agent or guardian step in to complete that paperwork on, on your behalf. But I think that's really, really important for people to know. Um, it, it's not only in circumstances where somebody may be incapacitated. Um, ideally, actually, you, you want to be able to have that person um, sign themselves into the hospice process and, and really participate in conversation. 
Well, I think you said that uh, one final thing, and I think that's probably uh, enough to be said about hospice. I guess I do want to to uh, make the note that one of our listeners, who is also a client, uh, asked us to talk about hospice and suggested that maybe sometimes when you have a serious diagnosis, you should, as they put it, relax into that diagnosis and uh, and explore hospice. And I think that's exactly what we think. Explore hospice as an alternative at the end of life for yourself. As you say, Elizabeth, competent people can, can sign into hospice or for your loved one family member who has lost the ability to make the decision themselves. At least give hospice a chance, and, um, and we think that you will probably find that it makes the whole process much more um, acceptable. It will never be great, but, uh, but it might ease some of the pain and anxiety. Um, on that note, You've been listening to me, Robert Fleming, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, talking about hospice on our weekly podcast, Elder Law Issues. We are the law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC in Tucson, Arizona. We would love to invite you back for our next episode as well.